0: Hello, and welcome back to the Cuse Conversations podcast. My name is John Boccasino, the communications specialist in Syracuse University's Office of Alumni Engagement.
1: It's not like I have a background of table tennis. It's not like I grew up playing it. It's not like I followed it religiously throughout my time as a kid and adult. No, it's really one of these things where I've had to pick it up and learn as much as I can within these last few months. So uh, it's been a lot. It's been fun. I've enjoyed every part of the experience so far, and I haven't even really gotten
0: started yet. Well, folks, our guest today on the podcast is Chris Lewis, a 2013 Whitman alumnus and an accomplished sports broadcaster. He is preparing to make his Olympic broadcasting debut at the Tokyo Summer Olympics in third week of July. Lewis, who is active both Z89 and WAER as a Syracuse University student, will handle play-by-play duties for NBC's coverage of table tennis. Chris, welcome to the podcast, and how are you holding up uh, with these games approaching pretty quickly?
1: I'm really excited for it. Also, thank you guys for having me on. I appreciate being on this podcast, and yeah, it's one of these things where it's just quickly approaching every day you check the calendar and you're one day closer to this thing getting started. And, you know, it's almost overwhelming with the amount of work that you have to do to get ready, especially with Uh, my assignment doing play-by-play for table tennis for NBC Olympics. And it's not like I have a background of table tennis. It's not like I grew up playing it. It's not like I followed it religiously throughout my time as a kid and adult. No, it's really one of these things where I've had to pick it up and learn as much as I can within these last few months. So uh, it's been a lot. It's been fun. I've enjoyed every part of the experience so far, and I haven't even really gotten started yet.
0: You graduate in 2013, and like a lot of sportscasters, your resume is dotted with baseball, with basketball, with football. And then you get the call to go to Tokyo for table tennis. So take us through that experience. How did you land this prestigious gig? I mean, it's not like there's a ton of broadcasters NBC was hiring. You're a part of a pretty select crew.
1: Yeah, I'm really thankful and grateful for the opportunity, that's for sure. And I know um, it's one of these things where – it's as you said like only a select few get to do something as cool as this and like every day I'm just thankful that I was one of the ones that was chosen for it and you know again I it's not like I had table tennis on a reel and sending f- feedback <laughs> for my table tennis play by play no it's not like uh, it was something like that but it's just kind of in a way you know having a relationship with you know people who we're at NBC, and we're involved with their Olympic selection coverage, and uh, just doing my best to stay in contact with them and constantly get feedback, and you know, send them myself with Boise State. And I think one of the things with my role at Boise State is that I do get to do a variety of different sports, and I think that's one of the if anybody has strengths, like that's one of the strengths that I have is I've called. Everything from tennis to gymnastics to volleyball, softball, like I do so many different sports at Boise State, all the Olympic sports that um, show in the versatility of being able to adapt to different sports that I, it's not like I had a background in before might have been a plus. And I take that same approach of you know, diving into something new. I just do it on a more extreme level for this because the task is so grand. There's, you know, uh, five different tournaments that take place in the Olympics from men's singles to women's singles to a men's team to women's team to mixed doubles. So that's a lot of uh, different events for just one sport. So it's what I've done throughout my time as a broadcaster and just now tailing it towards table tennis instead of something like gymnastics or something like basketball or something like soccer. So, uh,
0: you know, still learning. So you didn't have to do any sort of table tennis broadcasting to, to entice CNBC folks to give you this position? Uh, no,
1: I was just more of showing what I can do and just being in contact. Like in the past, really it kind of started last summer. Um, you know, the kind of, building off the relationship with some of the people, uh, with NBC sports and just sending my reel there. And fortunately, you know, one of the things you learn throughout this business, you send your reels to people. That doesn't mean they're going to respond with feedback. And it doesn't mean they're going to give you, uh, the time of day to hear what you're saying. But, uh, I was just fortunate that I did get a response and they did take the time to talk to me and, uh, tell me some of the things that I do well, tell me some of the things that I can improve upon throughout my other reps that I continue to get at Boise state. So, you know, just continuing that relationship of once I do something new, once I add some things to my reel, or once I do a game, send it off to them, get some more feedback. Okay. Now improve this, try to work on this, see what you can do here. And, then just repeat that exercise and then i got a call you know um a few months ago we were recording this at the end of june uh about hey we have an opening for table tennis for our tokyo olympics coverage now of course i'm not going to be in tokyo i'm going to be in stanford connecticut in their you know remote broadcast studios which will be fantastic but like, are you interested I'm like, yeah absolutely <laughs> uh yeah no doubt so uh i you know couldn't wait to say yes
0: that's got to be such a, a flattering feeling, you know, to, to be chosen uh, like that off of the, the basis of your reel. And there are so many Syracuse legends that will be broadcasting at the Olympics, of course, starting with the godfather, Mike Tarico and working his way on down. There's so many Syracuse voices that are going to be permeating at the Olympics. What kind of honor and what kind of dream is it going to be for you to achieve to get to have that microphone at the International Spotlight?
1: Well, it's definitely a dream, and I guess the only way I can answer that is I have to do it first, I actually have to go through (laughs) it to tell you what it's like, because right now it still kind of feels like a dream. It still feels like something that's in the future and not something that I've done yet. But, you know, I could just do what I always do and prepare as hard as possible and work as hard as I can beforehand and then during it and also just enjoy it, right? Because I do realize the opportunity that's given that not a lot of people Uh, get to do this. This is one of these dream assignments. So don't let the moment go by without appreciating how lucky that you are to be able to do that. And when you approach it from that mentality, I do think that it comes across on the broadcast too. When you go into it, like this is fun and I'm lucky to be here. Happy to be here. Like you can tell the announcers who take that approach to their, uh, you know, to their reps, to their job on a day-to-day basis. The ones who love to be there, who feel grateful to be courtside or feel grateful to be in the booth for a football game or feel grateful to be there for, uh, coverage of any Olympic event. So like, that's probably the best way to approach it is it still feels like a dream. And I'll <laughs> tell you how it feels uh, to be amongst all those people that you mentioned when I'm actually there.
0: You know, I read an article where you said that this was one of the most unique assignments you've ever had. How have you been preparing for this role?
1: Yeah, it's unique just because it's, you know, table tennis It's not something that I've ever called before or like studied in that way until getting this assignment. So since then, it's basically been a day daily basis of looking up the athletes who are being involved, checking the table tennis websites to get up on the latest news, um, being in contact with the color commentator that I'm going to be calling table tennis with um, just so. I can introduce myself. He's been experienced not only as a former player, but also as a broadcaster for the previous few Olympics for table tennis. So learning as much as I can uh, from somebody like him to just get that insight uh, that I need to be able to watch this great sport from a a perspective to where I can be a person who's on the air and telling the stories of the people who are involved. And, you know, I said like unique assignments, but with play by play, the fundamentals of it kind of are the same no matter what the sport is. You're telling the stories of the people who are involved. There's a winner, there's a loser, there's somebody who's trying to do something. Could it be for the first time? Could it be for the 80th time? And that's the story. Like there's always something, no matter the sport. It can be gymnastics, football, basketball, soccer, table tennis. Uh, traditional tennis it could be anything and there's storylines with the people who are involved trying to overcome something trying to do something that they've never done before and it's your job as the play-by-play announcer to be the ones to bring out those stories to connect to an audience that again with the olympics it is in a way a different type of audience who consumes a Let's say an NFL game on a Sunday, or um, consumes a Boise State women's basketball game that I'm calling, or uh, something like that. So uh, it's it's unique in that way, but still the mechanics and the fundamentals of it are still the same.
0: One of the coolest parts, from my perspective, of the Olympics, and gosh, we have really needed these games. There's so much anticipation. We need something that we can all come together and rally around the spirit of competition. There's so many great stories out there. And the Olympics, you can, at least I personally will watch matches, sports I've never seen before, because I want to see what the sport's all about. I want to get to learn some of the Olympians who are going to be capturing the stage. What about storytelling really is your strength? Because you've got to draw out those stories to that audience.
1: Yeah, it's the enthusiasm, the energy, and again, like the the feeling of you being lucky to be there. And um, also the preparation of actually knowing these stories ahead of time, too. And then also in your head thinking of the best way to tell the stories of everybody who's involved. So it's a lot of different things, and I, I, I guess a strength. What I was always say it was be by preparation, the work and the effort that I put into it. Um, you know, I try my best to. Work as hard as possible and also enjoy uh, the work that I put in being on air, you know, the two or three hours for a traditional sporting event. um, You know, that's fun, but you have to love the work that goes in beforehand, uh, because if you don't, then you're not really going to have the passion to do this at the level um, that. We all want to do it when we decide to go to Syracuse in the first place, right? Because <laughs> we all we all went to Syracuse if you wanted to be a sports broadcaster. There's definitely a standard or a level that you've wanted to reach. So, um, yeah, by strength probably. If there's that, would be the preparation of it. But um, you know, it, that's I was you too. Like I. I how many sports I got introduced to because of the Olympics? I'd be up at like two a.m. on USA Network watching whatever they decide to throw at me because it's like, hey, it's live <laughs> sports that are going on at this time. I love it. So um, it'll just gotta be strange to now be on the other side of it and the one who's uh, you know on the television versus the one who's watching the television because I was that guy too.
0: What did you know about table tennis before getting this job? Had you ever watched a match live?
1: Um, I think I've watched YouTube clips live, but that was, I don't recall ever seeing it on TV traditionally, other than the Olympics, which again, I probably have because I've seen a bunch of Olympic sports and just gotten into it because hey this is competition this is one person versus another person or in the case of table tennis it could be two people on each side and uh it's fun and it's a competition and they're going for gold so i probably have (laughs) seen it in that way um but it's not like i had sought it out on youtube other than just like something that went viral hey did you see this shot now since i've gotten this assignment i've Pretty much seen most of the YouTube videos that are on, especially the fun roller shots and the long rallies that uh, get the crowd engaged. And hopefully, we get some of that because I've been the call myself. But um, yeah, that's basically my before I got this assignment. That's my background on it. What stands out to me on first watch from the uh, you know not in the sport to now trying to dive into the sport, it's just like wow there's so many different precise movements and actions that they have to do and the speed that they have to process, like, all right, if they send me this shot this way, then I have to respond to it. This And how do they, how do they program them? So, like, how long does it take for you to be able to instinctually know how to return this in the speed that is coming at you? Like if you think hitting a baseball is hard, I, I could make an argument that, returning a serve or returning uh, aggressive forehand in
0: table tennis is just as, if not much more difficult. Knowing that you're not going to be there live in Tokyo, what kind of challenge is that going to present for you to be broadcasting the games and not to be in the arena? I think it's a challenge that a lot of people have
1: had to go through over this past year, year plus with COVID changing the game, changing the landscape of broadcasting and media Uh, I think a lot more people have had to do a lot more remote broadcasts, not just, you know, it used to be the Olympics was the sporting event where the remote broadcast was king. And it really wasn't the case for a lot of the other uh, events that you get to see on TV. But this past year, uh, college basketball, college football, um, where a lot of it was calling that remotely and, you know, whether it's lacrosse championships or other events that you see on USBN, a lot of that was being called remotely. So uh, I know for me, I am, you know, radio voice for Boise State women's basketball. And for home games, we're there in person this year. Um, but for road games, we did not travel this year with, uh, you know, women's basketball. Instead, we called these games. I was in the football press box, calling them off of a monitor that didn't have any, you know, natural sound from the arena, uh, got back getting back to me in my headset. So it's like, you're really calling this game dry. You're watching it on a monitor. You're doing a radio call and you're at the mercy of the angle that they're giving you on the screen. So you'd feel like, Hey, this might not be the best way to deliver the radio call that you're familiar with doing over the years but you also realize that you're lucky to be able to be broadcasting a game at all because there's a time where you didn't think there'd be a season at all and everybody's working hard to at least get the kind of broadcast that they're getting Um, and knowing all the people at Learfield and IMG and you know Bronco Sports Properties at Boise State how many different phone calls that they had to be on and the hours that they put in just to give me the opportunity to call this game on a monitor in the football press box so like yeah i can say that okay this might not be the most ideal way to call the game but i'm thankful to be able to call the game at all and it's the same thing with the olympics just at a broader scale it's like i don't have any kind of reservations of not being there in Tokyo like no I am lucky to be able to be calling this the way I'm calling this uh, on a monitor in a booth in Stanford Connecticut and I'm just going to do my best to do the best job that I can uh, for everybody who's involved in the process because I know how many people are involved and the kind of hours that everybody's putting in uh, to make this look and sound good across the TV how did you get
0: into sports broadcasting in the first place
1: um, I think the first experience with it was, you know, I was one of these kids during the, uh, you know, Philadelphia area, South Jersey, um, you know, born in 91. So you think of, okay, what was the uh, biggest sports star in that area? As a kid in the early 90s, Allen Iverson, right? Allen Iverson, Philadelphia, Sixers, right? So um, I was the dude who wanted to be Allen Iverson. I had the <laughs> cornrows, you know, the braids. And every week during the summer, I would go to basketball camps. Both my parents worked, so they needed something to do with me during the day. And there would always be a basketball camp to go to. So, you know, I would always you know, do my best to try to be playing around Allen Iverson out there. But wasn't really playground Allen Iverson. Your crossover
0: wasn't quite as good as his. No, it's not. not, <laughs> not.
1: Nope. Don't have the hezzies. Don't have, <laughs> don't have the step backs. Nope. Can't fly off an Iverson cut. Can't curl around a screen. Those nope. But um, there was one week where there wasn't a basketball camp to send me to, but there was a sports broadcasting camp in Philadelphia run by Jeremy Treatment, Scholastic Play-by-Play Networks, You know, sports broadcasting camps. And I was like, yeah, that sounds fun. I'm a sports fan. Um, I watch a lot of sports, so yeah, let, let's go to that. I was probably like, you know, eleven years old, twelve years old, something like that. And it was something to do during the day. And I just loved it. I thought it was awesome. Like it was great to have you know people who were real life commentators come to the campus, speak to us. This was awesome. Like before these were just guys on TV and now they're like here in front of me. Um, So I thought it was great. And I, I I knew pretty much, you know, early teenage years that this is what I wanted to do. So um, high school, I was, out here doing the uh, football games and the basketball games uh, on like teamline.cc. I had my dad out here running cables from the court all the way to the offices and the athletic director's room, which was like, you know, 100 feet away, just connecting these phone cables. It was, it was kind of a mess, but <laughs> it was what I wanted to do. And I have supportive parents who uh, guided me along the way too, so it was great.
0: And obviously, uh, as we mentioned earlier, Syracuse University has a, a pretty good reputation when it comes to producing sports broadcasters. What was it for you, Chris, that made Syracuse stand out? And, 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 and did you, I don't know, like, who are some of the voices you maybe have learned from that came from that orange path to uh, influence your style?
1: Yeah, the alumni list was the reason. Just like I think a lot of people, you know, <laughs> when you see people who are having the jobs that you want and where they went to school, a lot of them was Syracuse. So it's like, okay, that's the place to go. So uh, whether it was Mike Tarico, Bob Costas, the list that I'm sure has been referenced on this podcast and many others that have to relate to Syracuse. <laughs> but like I, a special, you know, shout out to Jim Jackson, who's the voice of the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, he was. I think the first speaker at that camp that I went to uh when I was like eleven or twelve years old and I've stayed in touch with him ever since and he's a Syracuse guy. So like that was you know, one of the many seeds that were planted early that, Hey, this is the place you go to if you want to be a sports broadcaster. Now I was again, lucky enough to get into Whitman at of all places, which is its own story of uh, getting into the business school and not the broadcasting school, but still thinking that, yeah, this is the right decision to still go to Syracuse, even though I'm not new house and we'll figure it out from there. I, you know, sports broadcasting and, you know, being, Uh, play-by-play announcer was always the objective and I just figured doing my research that at Syracuse the student media stations are the things that really change the game or are the biggest asset of it from WAER to Z89 to Citrus TV so I knew that all right even if I'm not Newhouse I can still join all those programs and get experience that way. And I do that, you know, going in my freshman year. So I just made a point that, all right, I'll try to transfer into new house. I'll do my best uh, to try to get the, the grades to transfer in, but I also want to put my foot in the door at those three places and put myself on a path to do as much as I can early. And it worked out with the student media stations, you know, W A R, Uh, got some, you know, play by play reps there, Um, you know, junior and senior year was most of the play by play stuff. Um, Citrus TV got to be involved early as a, you know, producer and then on air and then Z89, same thing, getting involved as a radio host and also play by play. But I never did get to transfer into Newhouse because my grades didn't meet the cutoff or whatever. And um, I guess it's still the same way. I don't know if it is or not, but you just have the GPA cut off line. And if you're above it, you get to transfer in. If you're below it, you can. And with all the hours that I was putting in, I mean, I don't know if I would be a 4 student anyway. Like, it's tough to be a 4 <laughs> student. Got to have a gift for that. But I knew with the time that I was putting in with the other places, um, it would be probably tough to get a 4 But, you know, I still value the education that I got at Whitman too um, and learning the uh, different areas of business. My major there was just general management. Um, it really wasn't like anything focused on like accounting or uh, triple E I think it was one of the majors. It wasn't anything uh, other than general management, but like the whole time I still knew that, okay, sports broadcasting is the area that I want to go in, but also knowing that, Hey, you can, Having the diverse knowledge of business can be an asset too. So, not ignoring it, but also, like, when it came to all right, I can either choose to study for this test in the business school or I can study my chart names and numbers for this. Big East tournament assignment that I have, like, what do you think I was going to do? Like <laughs> I was going to absolutely uh, get ready for that assignment or get ready for that on air thing. And, you know, the way the sports department, especially a citrus TV worked, a lot of that was late nights too. So uh, sometimes you did have to make choices of where to put your energy and where to put your efforts. And yeah, I always chose the uh, sports broadcasting side
0: of it. What's the biggest lesson or takeaway, the biggest way that your Syracuse career, your broadcasting career as a student has influenced you in your role today? Um, biggest lesson, just, you know, I we have a positive attitude,
1: treat people well, you know, do your best to uh, be somebody who's pleasant to deal with. Like, you know, there's so many people who want to do this. There's so many people who can do this, right? Like, you know, it's not like we're Performing brain surgery. Like we're (laughs) talking about sports. So there's a lot of people who can do it, physically can do it. Um, so if you're one of the people who people don't like working with for whatever reason, they just want to find somebody else. Right. So like I think that's the the biggest thing is to be somebody who is good to be around good to work with um doesn't have too big of an ego doesn't have uh you know jerk tendencies and if you're somebody who's friendly and nice and takes the time for other people i think that it gives you a little bit of a leg up because they'll remember that positive experience that they had working with you and they'll more likely want to work with you again or they'll maybe tell somebody else hey i enjoyed working with him. He does a good job. He works hard. He treated me nicely. How about you think of him for this? So I think that's one thing. And then just also, you know, working hard, like, you know, nothing that is worth doing doesn't come without working hard.
0: I was waiting for the right opportunity to bring up this next question. And I realize, you know, look, we're all works in progress, but I really want to commend you, Chris, for what you did last summer we're dealing with the racial strife, we're dealing with the fallout of George Floyd, we're dealing with another unarmed black man getting killed at the hands of police. You wrote a really poignant column for the Idaho Statesman where you were talking about, previously you felt really discouraged about speaking out on issues of racism and police brutality. And then that moment, you felt more empowered to take on an active role and address these social justice issues. Take us through your thought process and how the response has been to that
1: Going back to the timeline of last June, it was, you know, why I felt empowered is because that felt like people were listening, right? Like people were actually in a position to where they had an awakening of realizing, and it's not just, you know, George Floyd being murdered and that, like the realization that that's bad. Like for some reason, like before that, it was controversial that getting murdered like that was a bad thing you'd have like half the population well no that's fine that's acceptable Like, no that's not acceptable um but some people thought it was uh for you know whatever reasons or beliefs that they had um but that was the one that seemed to be universal this is bad which I'm still trying to figure out, like, why was that one the one where it could be universally accepted that this was bad? Like, we're saying that this stuff has been happening for a while. It's been on video. There's been on countless other examples of things like this happening. And it doesn't get the same kind of traction. It doesn't get this same universal. This is bad message uh, that this one got. So what was it about George Floyd? I don't know. Maybe it was because it was during COVID where there wasn't as much. Um, other things there wasn't sports to distract us there wasn't as many concerts or other things that were going on that divert people's attention so maybe that was part of it but I also noticed the wide-ranging conversations that a lot more people were having not just about police brutality but the widespread effects of systemic racism the you know Looking at why certain industries look a certain way, why um, the wealth is distributed in this country in the way it did, like we're actually looking at some deep foundational issues that this country has had for a long time, and we're finally—and I say we're finally—but like again, black people, a lot of people uh, in my circles were talking about this for a while. But now all of a sudden, this conversation was being had at a more surface level. We've had, I was having people in the industry, people who I hadn't talked to in years, like calling me, wanting to talk about things that I would have never thought that they wanted to talk about. So it was just a really interesting time uh, last June. And you know, I was really encouraged that people were wanting to have these kind of conversations and just trying to hope that they could learn something from it and that they would keep that same passion, keep that same fire for change as we continue to go to the next month, to the next month, to the next month. Now we're about a year um, since then. This is the end of June that kind of happened in Memorial day weekend, uh, the George Floyd murder. And then a lot of the, you know, different conversations that came out of that were early June of 2020. So like, do we have the same, energy and that same passion i mean some of it is certainly falling off but hopefully we're in a better spot but i don't know and that's the puzzling part or that's the the part that you know sits on the back of your head and like how much do you want to continue to press the issue on that versus be one that's like okay you're having a lot of these opportunities come or you're getting a lot of these you know assignments that you're really enjoying like do you want it and other people are doing other things that with their life too like how much do you want to continue to press the issue with that so there is a balance of it but um it's one that i'm still learning how to navigate these waters too but i do feel like that column at least them at least a little bit of perspective of what it's like is uh, for an audience in idaho that for a black person from the Philadelphia area who moved to Boise, Idaho in 2014, what it was like for somebody like that.
0: And I appreciate Chris, you being willing to go down with that topic of conversation because you're, it felt like, yes, it was a pandemic. You look at Rodney King, that should have been, I mean, there's so many incidents you can point to where it's like, it was clearly captured. There should be no debate, but yet there was somehow a debate. And I thought your article succinctly put all the points together you were trying to convey and especially given that you've got a sports background it drives me crazy it's got to do the same for you when people say stick to sports Mm -hmm. why can't you be a sportscaster who has opinions on other topics i mean that makes no sense to me
1: yeah i mean there's also like in a way a responsibility like why (laughs) what just because you're a doctor you can only talk on medical things like that's just weird (laughs) like what you, you can't That's just doesn't make any sense. And it never made any sense. Right. Like you've had people who were sports figures who entered politics. You've had people who um, have political causes who do speak at sports games. I mean, the national anthem. Is played before every sports game right like there's it's always intersected like I don't that's the whole stick to sports as if there's a sports lane and a politics lane they never cross it's just you know one it's a two-lane highway and then two lanes never see each other like that never happened like so disingenuous to tell me that that happened in the first place the olympics for crying out loud like have we're talking about the olympics in this podcast like what there's been no connection between politics and sports in the olympics <laughs> no that's not true i so. mean there's
0: tommy smith and john carlos i mean famously with you know the the olympics in in, in mexico city 1968 i mean there's we've been had all these
1: war, we've had wars that have caused countries to not be invited to certain Olympics. like we this is always intercepted. Like I don't just to pretend that there was a lie in the first place is so disingenuous <laughs> and so uh you know it's coming at it, it's coming at it from a very wrong place. And I, I just when somebody says something yeah. like that, you know that it's uh it's not right.
0: When we're talking about, you know, the stick to sports and and you've been a part of obviously the the push. For advocating for social justice issues, it must have been refreshing to see teams like in the NBA, the Milwaukee Bucks, stage their their playoff walkout during the playoffs, where there's actual significance to those games. Uh, the voting centers were opened up. You know, NBA teams seem to be really vocal in having their uh, stadiums and arenas be used for getting people registered to vote for the 2020 election. Do you think we can build upon the momentum that we've gained so far in the social justice awareness?
1: I hope so. And I also have to give a shout out to the WNBA. I mean, the WNBA did just an absolutely fantastic job of taking this issue, uh, you know, front and center, making their whole, you mentioned the bubble, like the wobble, the WNBA (laughs) bubble, like they, they really dedicated it to Breonna Taylor. They did a fantastic job of keeping the attention on that. And uh, you know, the Atlanta dream, that team uh, and what they were able to do for, Atlanta and Georgia, which turned out to be a key point in the uh, 2020 election. So uh, just big shouts to the WNBA and everything that they did uh, throughout the different messages that you're talking about. And yeah, it was definitely encouraging. And I hope that we can continue to build upon that. And I think voting and not letting the um, access to voting be overtaken is one of the key things with this next couple of year cycle you're seeing a lot of bills and a lot of a uh, legislature that is trying to make it so what happened in 2020 doesn't happen going forward and having that same passion, as I mentioned, like having the same passion that we had in 2020 to these, you know, next couple of years to make it so like, no, we got to keep the access to voting. We got to have it. So there's not so many obstacles to vote for, uh, people in communities that, you know, we know the communities that have long voting lines. We know the communities where you can just walk in and vote, right? Like we know there's a reason why there's, it's set up like that and not losing sight of, what is right and what is wrong surrounding the access to voting. I think that is one of the key things uh, to not lose our passion about over these next couple of years. And I hope sports teams and sports owners. It's so important because these sports owners are the ones with influence in a lot of these places. I'm interested to see how that happens over these next few years, what happens in these cases. But I choose to be optimistic by nature.
0: So I will continue to be, but uh, we'll certainly see. That goes along the lines too of the resiliency that we were talking about when it comes to your Syracuse story and the more people can become resilient and overcome obstacles, you know, it's, it's going to test you early, but you'll be better off for it when you face those challenges down the road. And I think sportscasters, as much as people think it's, it's a fun job and it is a fun occupation, but there's a lot of challenges that come to finding a job to crack, to to rising up the ladder, to struggling the work-life balance with having a family. What is your advice to that next core of sportscasters coming down the pike from Syracuse and other schools that how can, what advice can they learn from your story? Well, just
1: have fun with every part of the job, right? If there's parts about the job that you don't like, then when things go poorly, which inevitably things are going to be, you know, you're going to have adversity. Um, Now, all of a sudden, the parts of the job that you don't like start to, be that much more painful, right? So like, if you can genuinely enjoy the prep, genuinely enjoy your know, parts of the job search, or genuinely enjoy talking to people uh, that could maybe help you out down the line, Th- those are the things that really make it so that you're enjoying the ride, you're enjoying the path. And you know, people have said it to me, and you're never willing to l- listen to it when somebody's offering it to you, but you know the final destination is not the only thing the the journey to the final destination matters too, and you should enjoy that and again it 's easy when you 're on the other side and you 've made it to the destination that you want to to say that to you know the people who are up and coming and no, by no means am I saying that i 'm in the position to where i 'm not somebody who's still trying to be an up and comer like i 'm always still trying to find the next opportunity, and I still want to think of myself as somebody who's on the journey to whatever's next, but just enjoying the journey is In all aspects of it, if you can find a way to do that, uh, I think your life will be a lot more pleasant as you figure out how the sports broadcasting path, where it's going to take you and how it's going to how it's going to affect you. But um, I've been, again, lucky and fortunate that you know, the biggest adversity that I had was during the COVID time. And then I got the opportunity to teach coming off of that, which then allowed me to stay in the position that was at to keep building up the sports broadcasting opportunities. So now it's led to a couple of other doors opening. And, you know, I had a job right lined up before the end of graduation doing minor league baseball. So I, and then right during that summer, um, the women's basketball job at Boise State opened. So like, I've been lucky in that way to where I haven't had such a long period of time of mystery and trying to figure it out, which again, I can just say I'm one of the fortunate ones.
0: And you learn so much more about yourself during times of adversity than times of success, because there's opportunities to challenge yourself. And clearly, even though you say you've been in the right place at the right time, and you've, you've worked hard to get these opportunities, and they're deservedly so, it's great to have you as one of our New broadcasters on the rise. I know, no offense, but in Boise State, we don't we, we get the Mountain West coverage on a lot of networked uh, cable packages, but it's not something that a lot of Syracuse community members might know about off the draw. But now you've got this national spotlight. You've got the NBC Games coming up for the Summer Olympics in Tokyo. And the fact that you're going to be there from basically day one of competition through the end of competition with table tennis, that's so cool that the games really span the entire three week Olympiad.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. (laughs) And it means it's a lot of, uh, a lot of prep and a lot of work and not a lot of breaks, which is great. It's exactly what I want. And hours will be ridiculous because these (laughs) things are going on at, you know, 13 hour time difference from Eastern Standard Time or Eastern Daylight Time. So uh, it's, it'll be fun and it'll be kind of like a college (laughs) experience in a way, right? (laughs) Diving into something, not sure how it's going to turn out. And, uh, you know, I'm hyped for it. And Yeah, it's hopefully it's one of those things that can lead to other things. And, you know, you mentioned Boise State and its connection to Syracuse. There was a time while I was in Syracuse where uh, it looked like Boise State was going to join the Big East. Like there was uh, there was a little bit of a like a a week or two where it was like lined up for Boise State to join the Big East and be in the same conference as Syracuse. (laughs) Wild. (laughs) Creighton was an ad. um, Butler has uh, been an ad since I've left. Uh, I left Syracuse the uh, last year that they were in the Big East, so I covered the last Big East tournament that Syracuse was in uh, while I was there. So I always kind of put a you know a little feather in my cap for that one because it was just so fun. I grew up like Big East tournament was my thing.
0: I just I think I think Chris, your story is is yet to be written. You know what you've accomplished so far is great, but there's so much more ahead of you, and hopefully this is really the start of something big with the Olympics when it comes to just writing your own ticket
1: coming up this basketball season I'll be doing uh, games with Boise State also with the fall season too but also uh, with CBS Sports Network I'll have a package of games for them for uh, college basketball season two. so I'm really looking forward to that so again it was a tough year for everybody uh, in 2020 and just trying to do your best to make it through in as good of a spot as you could and now that that Again, it's not completely behind us. The pandemic is certainly not completely behind us. We still need to do our part to uh, put ourselves in a best position going forward. But hopefully, as you know, sports arenas are getting more filled. The economy is recovering a little bit that uh, this, you know, next sports season, there'll be a lot of fun stuff on the horizon. And I just can't wait to experience it.
0: Well, Chris, it's really been a pleasure telling your story here on the alumni podcast. And uh, we wish you nothing but the best of luck with the Olympic coverage and all your broadcasting endeavors to come. Thank you very much for having me on. It was fun. Thanks for checking out the latest installment of the Cuse Conversations podcast. My name is John Boccasino signing off for the Cuse Conversations podcast.